cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're live with us on the Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. My name is Kingsley Kipuri. I'll be the, the person guiding you through this journey for the next hour. Greg Nicholson, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Oh, good. You still have that January optimism, or is it was it fading away like the rest of us? The, the eating plans, the gym, the gym plans, the the, the new year, new me feeling. <laughs> I was thinking I haven't gone to the gym yet. Okay, so you never had. <laughs> I haven't been eating well, so <laughs> I don't think I've been they've been the most optimistic. Man, there's a lot person be said for consistency. A lot be said for consistency, man. You don't want to rock the board too much. Just you know, if it's working, keep doing it. But, but I'll I'll start hitting the weight soon. I'll keep you updated. <laughs> That's it. For everybody listening in, thank you for tuning in. Um, firstly, before we get into it, um, we get a lot of sort of informal feedback on Twitter around, you know, ideas for future shows and, and, and feedback on shows. And we just wanted to sort of do a call out of saying, you know, we love that and we'd love to formalize it. So if you have any ideas for future shows that you'd like us to cover, specific topics that you think we should, we should dig into, or if you're, you're working on something at your office, at your place of work, and you say, you know what, this is, this is worthy of, of attention, please send us an email on uh, greg at dailymaverick.co.za. Absolutely. So any feedback, comments, questions, or just input for future shows, please let us know. Now, to this week's show, um, we've got a packed one. Firstly, talking about President Donald Trump, uh, just over a week in office, and we're going to be looking at his executive orders. So what are the ones we actually need to be paying attention to? Is it the, is it the ones that are the most, uh, grabbing the most press? Are there specific ones that need to go through, uh, you know, Congress and the Senate first before becoming, um, you know, fully binding and, and, and what's going on there? Secondly, we'll be talking about, um, you know, continental matters, specifically the, the election of a new African Union Commission chair, uh, yesterday evening. Um, and, and finally, we'll be looking at local politics. So the ANC, NEC had Le, Le Kotla last week. Uh, Greg Nicholson was covering that and we'll we'll jump into that. So first, Donald Trump. Uh, we've got uh, Brooks Spector on the line to be talking to us about this. Now, Brooks, um, I mean, just to get started, I mean, I've been trying to get a sense of when... when Hello. Hello. Hi, can you hear us, Brooks? Hello, Brooks. We're just gonna, I think we're having a technical issue with our Skype line. We're just going to dig into that. Anyway, Greg, while we get Brooks on, we were just looking at this this article for the from the Washington Post that we'll tweet shortly. And it was basically listing Trump's executive orders and saying what 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 has a few more obstacles. So what needs to go through mm. either a formal proposal, what needs to go through the House, what needs to go through the Senate. Um, before it's, it's, it's a law and what is it sufficient, um, to have an executive order and that's simple. Um, and basically what comes out of this is that specifically the suspension of immigration, that's the 90 day ban. That's fully binding with an executive order, at least for the 90 days. Um, second was the abandonment of the Trans Pacific Partnership, right? So there's a 12 nation agreement, um, largely with Asian countries, but that Obama's administration worked on for about, you know, his whole <laughs> 10 years president. Um, and that's been abandoned. Donald Trump said he wants to have specific, you know, Agreements with the specific countries. And secondly is the, I mean, thirdly, sorry, is the Keystone uh, XL pipeline. So you'll remember that we covered this to a lot of protests around the pipeline one going through, I think it was North Dakota. And it, um, there was a lot of, you know, turbulence around that. And that needs only the State Department approval. Um, so I think at the, at the very least, what this tells me is, is, is that that whole sentiment that there was a lot of times during his campaign where Donald Trump was saying a lot of things and we don't know how much of it would actually do is, you know, he's, he's being very clear that a lot of the things he said he intended on doing. Um, so Greg, I mean, watching this, I mean, specifically just on Twitter and watching on CNN, there seems to be specifically around the travel ban, there was a very immediate, very large reaction to, to people arriving at airports either in America or across the world and being told that they could not 
enter the United States of America. Some of these people who had legally applied for green cards, some of these people who had been helping U.S. efforts in places like Iraq and Iran, people who've been translators, people who've literally furthering America's military um, interest in all these countries, and they simply couldn't go back. Were you surprised by the the, the protests we saw, for example, at um, a JFK airport, at LAX airport, a lot of these places of of people saying, "No, this is this is not okay." Did that surprise you, or do you think that you know something like this, you know, would would we would expect a, a reaction like that? No, I don't think that's surprising at all that we saw widespread protests at, at a number of these airports because um, obviously Trump had had been using strong rhetoric against against foreigners yeah. um, throughout throughout the election campaign and some of these I think I think some of the actions he's taking now through these executive orders were to be expected but I think to have it to have it enacted in such a dramatic and such a sudden fashion um, I think. I think that was quite shocking, and so the re- the reaction where you know thousands of people went to protest Absolutely. protests at at airports, and we saw saw many many lawyers um give up their time yeah. to to come out and try to help some of these immigrants um and migrants to to sort of work through this system. Um, I think that's a natural reaction, and 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 I hope that there's more and more and more um protest on these issues. Um, I think one one of the key things that has been pointed out quite a number of times is that. These bans, there's a few things I think. Number yeah. one, that these bans only target certain Muslim countries Absolutely. that, that are not, um, for, for lack of a better phrase, terrorist sort of training grounds. I mean, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they have that wonderful chart that shows the people involved in 9-11 attacks, the people, mm-hmm. and, and you can see that there's no, not a single country that overlaps. So mm. a lot of people in the 9-11 attacks are from Egypt mm. and Saudi Arabia. I, I, I dare say that's that right. they were all from those two countries. Those and two are not on this list. So, so it put, puts paid to the idea that this is about actually protecting America um, from from such extremists. And even if that was the case, yeah. that, that there was a travel ban on on such countries it's still a completely what seems like illegal unconstitutional and definitely um unethical uh provision to put in place and and another thing i think that's been pointed out quite a few times which which i found quite distressing to witness is that this travel ban affects not just um you know first time visitors to yeah. america it affects people who've gone through the system legally, who've been vetted, um, who've who've had, and for anyone who's got uh, got an American green card, American yeah. green card or an American visa from from a country that American can be quite critical of, knows how how demanding some of these processes are and how much scrutiny you get subjected to, you and your family and anyone you know. Absolutely. Um, and so people go through this whole process and a very arduous and taxing process to become permanent residents of, in America and get green cards. And this is how they're now treated. These are, these are people who've gone through the system legally. Um, when, when all Trump is talking about is he keeps on sort of saying that, you know, this is about illegals and about terrorists. I don't think it's about that at all. It's about, it's about discriminating against an other that many Americans and particularly Trump and his supporters, um, vilify and, and essentially hate because they're different from them and that's where they've placed their fears and so what they've done is just completely decided to discriminate against a whole group of people yeah. and for so so for for these lawyers for other protesters to come out and react in the way they did yeah. i think that's only just and i think they should continue to do that because 
what what is this executive order particularly, but even Trump's election and a lot of support for Trump and a lot of crap that's being said on social media right now um, shows is or suggests is that the founding principles of what you know people say about America yeah. and, and its democracy are actually a lie, and and they've always been criticized for being hypocrites on these fronts and, and discriminating against minorities. Um, you know, some say war, warmongering. Yeah. Um, and now I think if, if people that disagree with the, the stance of the likes of Trump, if they don't disagree with the stance of the likes of Trump, um, I think America and, and America's government and society will just push completely, um, right and, and, become its own global extremists in a way. I mean, absolutely. I think the relationship between the executive and the judiciary is going to be really interesting. We've already seen um, the, a judge from one state, which I can't remember right now, I can pull that up, um, who simply looked at it and said, no, absolutely not. This is unconstitutional. And, you know, at least as far as the certain states were concerned, if you're, if you're here, you're, you're welcome here. Um, the attorney general... Um, you know, seconded that and agreed. And we was mm. talking this morning that, you know, she was, you know, promptly let go. Um, so already, already we're seeing, as you've mentioned, what happens when people push back, when people with power push back, especially the judiciary. And these are questions we've had, you know, here at home where we had the issues between the public protector and, and the president where you become adversaries. Sure, there's supposed to be a healthy tension between the different arms of government, sure. But it's another thing if it's, if you don't agree with me, if it's within my power, I will fire you. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be you know, absolutely fascinating to see. I think the one thing I like that's falling away is this idea that, you know, Trump is not to be taken seriously. Because we saw during the election, a lot of people's like, you know, he's just saying things. He's just tapping into public sentiment. I think it's officially clear that, you know, Donald Trump is not just saying things. And I think, I think with this, the executive order, the orders oh, yeah. he's initiated in his first oh, yeah. week as well, oh, yeah. it um, puts paid to the idea that, you know, there was this sort of, some people had this hopeful idea that once, once Donald Trump enters the White House, he's going to, to temper his, um, sort of extreme. Oh, that he views. Well, that would you have to? That he'd face that's all these right. obstacles and that's say, right. They, they, he'll, yeah. have, he'll have advisors. He'll have too much red tape and things like that that are going to curtail yeah. what he actually can, um, what sort of promises he actually can meet. But clearly, he's shown number one that he actually does believe in enforcing these ideas, and number two, he's going to do what he can to do it and and sort of screw anyone that stands in his way, as he showed by firing the the acting attorney general. I think another thing that's interesting, I think the, 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 the lack of, what, what shall we call it, tact, especially on things like the environmental policy and, and, and LGBTIQ rights. And we saw, you know, what I think is an extremely petty thing to do to remove the, the environmental policy sort of pages and the LGBTIQ sort of, you know, policy stance from the web, from the White House website and saying that, I mean, it's, for me, that what surprises that, me, there's just a lack of tact. I think that happened within hours of his inauguration. For me, that's just about tact. Like if I'm sitting here and I, I think climate change is a lie and I think it's just made up by the, you know, by, by liberals to, you know, to, to kill America, surely I should be tactful enough to know how do I go about this in a way that 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 has the the least scrutiny for me and the least you know the, the least sorry the least backlash. So why why is something as petty as deleting or deleting a website page? I, I just think it's it's, a, it's just I just think it's silly. One one thing I think we learned from the election campaign is that Trump. Um, seems to thrive on pettiness and backlash. We've seen one of the other big stories outside of the um, executive yeah. orders he's initiated has been Trump and his his administration's 
obsession over over this idea that he his inauguration had you know the, the little yeah. claims and photos yeah. that that um, that showed that he his at his inauguration there were far fewer people than Obama's um, first inauguration, yeah. and it seems that. Trump has taken this to heart so much that he is extremely driven by these issues. I think he even went to the to the extent of um, calling, I think it was the head of uh, national parks in the U.S. and asking if they could provide photos to to counter the media narrative and, and prove prove the media wrong and expose them. You know, he see he's very very thin skinned, but then he thrives off pettiness and backlash, and that's at least. In the election campaign, that's what he learned actually propelled his agenda rather than yeah. rather than sacrificed it. And I think it's still unclear how it's going to affect him now that he's president. But obviously there, there are a number of more limitations as president and people who may have been apathetic during the election campaign. Yeah. Now we're going to be directly affected by his by his administration and their orders. And absolutely, I mean, just looking into this, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the, some of his new a lot of his you know orders will have to go through a process. So things like repealing the Affordable Care Act, uh, things like the Affordable Care Act have to go through the House, have to go through Senate. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. This whole thing of building a wall and getting Mexico to pay has to go through the House, has to go to the Senate. Um, import taxes, same process. Um, so if, you know, if nothing else, I think this is going to be a real test of, of definitely the Republican party. Um, and I think Democrats too, to say, you know, you have certain stances and Republicans have always said that they are not against legal, legal immigrants. I think it's going to be said that verbally. So now when it's actually going through them and they have to vote, they'll have to, they'll have to be clear. But, but uh, yeah, I think these divisions in the Republican party are going to be very interesting because we've seen, um, Mike Pence, uh, uh, Vice President yep. Mike Pence in, in the past, I think it was last year, say he was, mm. he was against any, any sort of discrimination in terms of immigration yep. of, of people based on their religion. Um, and he said that on Twitter, it was clear, it was, it was screenshotted. And then after this executive order recently, he deleted that tweet, but clearly he's gone back on his, his, he's eaten his words, um, um, and has, and has changed his views to side with Trump. But one of the interesting things that I've seen yep. sort of pan out with, with, you know, Trump's first, you know, what is it? How many weeks is it in office no, now? It's, it's a week. It's a week. It's probably now probably eight days or something. Yeah, we were, we were laughing about it just the other day. Here we are, man. So, Making Hunger Games jokes. Now look, look at us now. Yeah. Excuse me. So is the international fallout that this will have? Yeah. Uh, we saw one effect of, of, I think they call it the, the Mexico. They call it Mexico City. That's the, that's the abortion. The abortion, the, the legislation that America cannot, cannot provide foreign funding to organiza- mm-hmm. organizations that provide, that provide, um, abortion services. And so uh, we, we saw. It's it, called the, it's called the Mexico City Agreement, I think, yeah. Interestingly, we saw, I think, um, I think it was Netherlands and Belgium say that we'll, we'll sort of pick up that slack yeah. and donate money so that, so that these organizations around the world will continue to receive funding. Then with the executive order on, on this temporary ban of, of basically certain Muslim countries, mm-hmm. um, I think it's very interesting to, to note that I think it was yesterday that the Iraqi parliament, um, Made, uh, voted, a majority of, of Iraq's parliament voted to take reciprocal measures, uh, in reaction to the US travel ban on citizens from, um, predominantly Muslim countries. And that means that, that 
the Iraqi the parliament will now ask the Iraqi government to retaliate by implementing visa restrictions on Americans visiting Iraq, which. You know, we all know America's history with, history with Iraq, but it's gonna, it's gonna, it's very interesting to now see certain other countries potentially retaliating and, and sort of kicking back to America and, and having repercussions that, that could, that could be, be ill received by, by Trump's government now they're standing up to them. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen, we've seen a lot, a large protest in the UK, especially around, you know, Prime Minister Theresa May to say, do not meet this person. Um, we've seen Mexico has already cancelled. They were supposed to have their first meeting and Trump dared, you know, the Mexican, <laughs> Mexican leader to cancel the meeting on Twitter and they, they promptly did cancel it. So I think, yeah, how, how do foreign countries respond, respond to their citizens saying, do not meet with this person, do not deal with this person? Uh, interesting. Yesterday, so I guess from a South African perspective, yeah. uh, ANC uh, Secretary General Guadamantasha was asked about his views mm. on on some of Trump's latest executive orders and and his tone, I guess, since since come, um, becoming president. And the Secretary General uh, sort of said that I think I think he remembered. I uh, recalled when he was asked previously, "What what do we think about? What does he think about Trump's nomination?" And he said, "Ah, you guys thought I was crazy, but I told you that America can elect anybody, <laughs> <laughs> and that once America even elected a man for two terms just based on his good looks." Who, I, I'm not sure, but I, I assume maybe it's talking about Ronald Reagan. Yeah, must be. I like how that's somehow a win for Gwede Mantashe. Like, know. what did I tell you? Yeah. How, is, how is that a win it, for it, you? It's right. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> so that's our perspective here. Okay, he said a little bit more. That's but, official, because you're yeah. wondering the official response. There you have it. But it's also going to be interesting to yeah. see, um, obviously, South Africa has an issue right now with um, the dumping of U.S. American chickens here um, with with through through that's sort of basically facilitated by yeah, the AGOA Act. Agoa Act um, it could be interesting if the AGOA Act is actually recalled from from Trump. I would not be surprised if he because it's basically a free trade agreement that gives preference to developing countries. African and his whole thing is we make bad deals. I'm a deal maker. That's right. So we've, that's we've, we've already seen his um, decision to uh, pull out of the was the, the Trans Pacific yeah Trans Pacific uh, agreement. Yeah, that's right. Which which is one of Obama's sort of. Uh, Keystone um, achievements in building relations with Asia. So you know, there's, it's definitely not out of the question that that Agoa might actually um, soon be scrapped. Absolutely. If you're just tuning in, we're chatting a bit about you know Donald Trump's executive orders. Now we want to turn to things a bit more continental. We've got Simon Anderson on the line. Let's pray to the Skype gods that Skype works. Simon Anderson, can you hear us? Kingsley, loud and clear. Wonderful, thank you. We had some issues with Brooks. Simon, yesterday evening, the AU uh, appointed a new commission chair. Who is Musa Faki Muhammad, and what do we know about him? Well, you know, he really wasn't a front runner for this job. Um, it was really thought that it was going to be a race between Amina Muhammad, the Kenyan foreign minister, yep. and uh, Abdullahi Bathali, who's a very prominent Senegalese politician and very active in the international circuit. Um, but then, sort of. Unexpectedly, out of the shadows came Mustafaki Mahmat. He is a Chadian politician. He was prime minister of Chad, very, very close to Idris Deby, the long-term president slash dictator of Chad. Um, he has held lots of prominent positions there, as well as also in the United Nations um, and in the African Union itself. He was chair of the African Union's Peace and Security Council. Mm -hmm. He was also chair of the UN Security Council when Chad took the rotating chairmanship in December 2015. Mm -hmm. So, look, he is a 
politician with a lot of experience in international organizations, and um, he should bring that to bear on the African Union. Whether he comes from the same, the sort of ideological background that sort of rights campaigners were hoping for is, is debatable, given his proximity to Idris Deby, who's uh, a notorious dictator. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's really interesting. Do you have, I'm just thinking, based on his, you said his, men, his, his term on the sort of Peace and Security Council, do you have any idea what his stance might be on, on things like Al-Shabaab? And we recently saw that attack, which we'll chat about briefly. Do you, have, do you have any inkling as to what his response might be to things like that? You know, I'm, I'm not too sure about him personally, okay. but um, certainly the Chadian response to terrorism has been a very um, security, military-led response. Um, Chad has uh, peacekeepers operating in Mali in the Central African Republic, whether they were operating there. I mean, they effectively um, kick-started that civil war in the Central African Republic. Um, they, they're also operating in the, the Niger region against Boko Haram. So I fear that, you know, whereas in Kosozana Dlamini Zuma did make quite a lot of progress in getting the AU to think about conflict as more than just war. Um, and fighting and bullets, you know, she was quite good at saying, hey, there's there's gender issues here, there's inequality issues. I have a feeling that we're not going to get the same from um, Mahamat. And one thing you mentioned what that might that might affect this election, just, you know, turning a bit, is there was an Al-Shabaab attack quite recently on the on an isolated Kenyan base. Uh, can you just tell us a bit about this? Well, yeah, this is, you know, Al-Shabaab are really... Um, very strategic in um, how they operate. So this time last year, they, they, they attacked a Kenyan base in Somalia at yeah. El Ade. Um, and, um, I mean, independent reports suggest that 147 Kenyan soldiers were killed. This is a huge number. Um, and Kenya was um, very guilty of, of covering this up and yeah. not, not really owning up to the extent of the um, death toll that was caused. Um a year later, plus minus, you know, just as Kenya was remembering what had happened in El Ade, well, there was another one um, in the turtle town of Kubio. And again, we're getting these very conflicting death tolls where Al-Shabaab is saying, no, we killed um, 50 plus Kenyan soldiers. And Kenya is saying, no, only nine soldiers died. Um, I, I'd imagine the Al-Shabaab figure is closer to the truth. That's certainly what independent mm. um, onlookers in Somalia seem to be suggesting. Now, the timing of this attack was very interesting. Um, it came literally um, two or three days before the African Union was voting on its new chair, before Amina Mohammed, who was the favorite, the, the Kenyan foreign minister, mm. um, was set to find out her fate. And I wonder if this did have an impact, because it really highlighted how Kenya... You know, Kenya's role in Somalia is very controversial, um, and, and, and certainly there is suspicion that, that Kenya is in Somalia for its own interests rather than um, the interests of the continent or Somalia. And we're not even talking about the interests of, of Kenya per mm -hmm. se, but the interests of the generals and the politicians who are personally involved. You know, a lot of Kenyan... Um, soldiers and, and, and senior officials have been implicated in a sugar and charcoal smuggling ring in collaboration with Al-Shabaab. You know, they're effectively working with Al-Shabaab um, to, to line their own pockets. 
Um, so these kinds of questions were being asked in the halls of the African Union while Amina Muhammad's candidacy was, was being discussed. So I doubt that did her any favors. There's also been suggestions um, uh, or investigations um, in Kenyan media of, of uh, massive corruption that Amina Muhammad may or may not have been involved in, which also didn't help. I mean, I mean Simon, your, your analysis was fascinating in how you looked at the the attack as a sort of uh, sort of strategic act given the the Kenyan presidential election coming up the AU commission chair election that we had yesterday and also a Somalia election coming up um i did not know there was a Somalia election coming up um and you your your analysis mentions that this is going through parliament and that this specific specific attack is is a way to show that perhaps Somalia is not um as as progressed on the on the road to stability as 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 some might hope Absolutely. You know, the, the sort of narrative that the international community and Somalia's federal government would like to sell the world is that, ah, you know, Al-Shabaab are just a minor hassle these days. Yeah. They're not a force to be reckoned with. They've been dealt with. Amazon, you know, have them firmly in their pockets. And um, we can, Somalia can go ahead and get on with the business of um, turning itself from a de facto failed state into something meaningful. Um, but this whole process has been riddled with flaws. I mean, the election was supposed to happen last year. It didn't because um, it couldn't get organized in time. It's not even a real election. I mean, it's just um, parliamentarians who will be voting for the president. Um, but they can't even appoint the parliamentarians themselves. There's reports of seats in parliament being, changing hands for massive bribes. And then you have Al-Shabaab regularly, I mean, this is not a, a rare occurrence, but regularly making these pretty substantial attacks mm on uh, Amazon targets, on Somali army targets, on just civilian targets, places like hotels and restaurants, um, and really saying, hey, we are still here. We have not yet been dealt with. And I think that this is really going to be a key area to focus on for the incoming African Union chair, because Somalia is really where, you know, you know that whole maximum, the maximum of African solutions for African problems. Um, Somalia is the case study of that. You know, it's an African Union force there. It's all peacekeepers from African countries. Um, it really is being directed by the Peace and Security Council in Addis Ababa. Somalia's success is meant to show that the African Union can take care of continental peacekeeping issues. And if it fails, then we have to ask whether the African Union is really capable of that. And I think that's what Al-Shabaab were doing, is they were just saying, hey, Somalia is not fixed yet, we're still here, and uh, you better keep paying attention to us. Simon, finally, turning back to you know the AU Commission chair, you wrote this, this wonderful sort of profile last week about you know outgoing or former uh, AU Commission chair and Kosazana Dlaminezuma, who are quite interested in as a country because of sort of her name being put forward for president. And I just want to talk a bit uh, a bit about that. I mean, your, your your profile starts with, and we'll tweet the link for anyone who wants to read it. Um, your profile begins with this, with a sense that she was a reluctant AU Commission chair, that she never really wanted the position. I. You you know, I always got that sense. Um, even in her like first press conference, when um, it was announced that she would be running, she just sat there. I mean, she didn't say anything. 
um, and Maiten Kuana Mashabana, the foreign relations minister, she's the one who was all excited and said, oh, what a wonderful opportunity this is. And Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, just her face was like stone, um, really not showing any kind of emotion, definitely not showing any kind of enthusiasm about this. And then when she finally got to Addis Ababa after that bruising election, Immediately, she surrounded herself with um, key st- South African staffers. You know, she brought all her own people in, and she really cut off the rest. You know, she she didn't engage with the African Union staff. She didn't engage with ambassadors. She didn't like take part much in the social life in Addis Ababa. She um, basically spent most of her time either, you know, in her office where no one could could reach her, at her house in Addis where also no one could reach her or back home in South Africa, because really, that's where her heart was. And I think, ultimately, that was where her biggest failings as a chair came in, that, that she was so unapproachable. She alienated allies, she made it really hard for civil society to have any kind of impact, um, and, and that has really tainted her legacy. I mean, I think, to be fair, we also have to take into account, I mean, one, that there was already resentment against South Africa for, for running and running so aggressively um, when, when there's this sort of gentleman's agreement, one might say, that that the, the larger country, so Nigeria and South Africa, is not supposed to put forward a candidate for this position. And also, surely, the fact that she's a woman. And whenever we talk about things like likability uh, and approachability and, you know, words like that, it's it's hard not to feel like it's purely just sexism and people are just not happy reporting to a woman. Look, I think you're absolutely right. She went into the AU with a whole lot of daunting challenges. Um and her gender definitely counted against her. There's no denying it. The African Union is an extremely patriarchal place. Um, people were very suspicious of a woman leading the organization to the extent where in these elections right now, um, certain countries, um, particularly from North Africa, were actively going around saying not another woman. Um, I mean, that's the level of patriarchy that, that still exists within the organization. So she really did have a lot of obstacles. But having said that, I, I think we do have to, you know, and, and there's, there's also the structural issues of the African Union. You know, there's only so much that an, a commission chairperson can do. Um, ultimately, it's the member states that make the really big decisions. You know, when Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma tried to get hard on Burundi, um, criticizing Pierre and Kurenziza, she was quickly wrapped over the knuckles at the next AU summit by the heads of state mm. who said, no, no, and Kurenziza is one of us, leave him alone. Having said that, um, I think there are some things we can judge her on um, based on her actions. And one of the most serious is the way that she cut off civil society from the African Union. You know, in theory, the AU is meant, meant to represent the people of Africa, um, which means that civil society groups, human rights groups, journalists need to have access to the institution, need to be able to participate going on there. And what Lamini Zuma did was actively cut out civil society from those debates. She made it almost impossible for NGOs to get meetings with her. She gave almost no interviews to independent journalists. You know, she talked to the SAC and CCTV, the Chinese broadcaster. She certainly would not talk to the Daily Maverick. Um, and she really gave the sense that she was running that commission for the heads of state rather than for the people. Um, and, and that, I think, was a big mistake. 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great summary. I think the only thing so far that's worth saying is you've mentioned the her sort of a vision or agenda 2063 for the African Union as really something that perhaps will will stay behind and remain as a, as a nice, perhaps, guiding document or visionary document about where Africa is trying to go. Do you think that will be helpful for the for the union as a whole going forward? You know, I hope so. I I, I like to think so. And, and a lot of people, when I was you know canvassing opinions about um, Flamini Zuma's tenure, raised that as as something in her favour. This is the first serious, long term strategic document that the AU has has ever had. And it's not just you know broad bullet points. Oh, it would be nice to have X and Y. It's it's really quite concrete details on 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 what to do and how to get there. Um, it's it's yeah it's, it's detailed. It's got, got lots of lots of plans. However, you know, I, I, I do worry that it's Agenda 2063 is, is too closely associated with Flamini Zuma herself. This was her project, um, her her push to to build her legacy, and I worry that whoever comes in afterwards will want to make their own impact, um, and 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 will try and do that by finding another way. That, that 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 that's not so tied so closely with it, Flamini Zuma. That's the one problem. The other problem is the AU actually has plenty of superb policies, um, really good um, directions on on what to be doing. But the implementation of those plans is always what's lacking. Okay, we'll just have to keep watching and find out. Simon Allison, thank you so much. Thanks, Kingsley. Wonderful. If you're just tuning in, we were just chatting to Simon Allison uh, a bit about um, what's going on, uh, especially at the African Union. We have the new commission chair, Musa Faki Mahmat, uh, who's a Chadian diplomat. Um, and, and basically, what can we expect from him? And I've just tweeted uh, the link to, and we'll put it on the podcast page, also a link to the excellent sort of profile or, or review of Kosasana Lamini Zuma's time as uh, AU commission chair. Just going to sort of the last segment for the show, and we want to talk local. Greg Nicholson, last week, uh, the ANC, NEC had their Lekhotla and they recently had their sort of press conference to, to talk about, you know, what, what, what did they discuss and what came out of that? So, um, I'm, I'm curious of your analysis, especially with this, there's this whole view about the, 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 the next sort of president of the, of the ANC. There's this whole view of what's going on with the black ops scandal and whether the ANC crossed the line in their, you know, in their digital campaigning, if we should call it, against opposition parties. And there's just the general view that the, the, you know, the ANC is, 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 is significantly fractured, as fractured as they've ever been as they elect their new leader. Um, so I'm curious, you know, when you were at the press conference and sat uh, sat through Guadalajara, sort of running through of what came out of that. What what were the major things coming out of that, like Hotla? Um, I think I think first of all, it's important to preface uh, what was coming into the Lakhola, what was going on in the news, yeah. and you know, our news here moves so fast that it's easy to to move past scandal to to you know be for the country to be rocked by one scandal one day. And for the the next day, there's another scandal that we yeah, you know, you kinda, yeah we completely the forget. The cycle is pretty quick. That's yeah. right. So it's so hard to to hold on to this stuff. But last week, as I'm sure all of our listeners must know, there was a report by um, the investigations, um, the the journalism Inve- investigations, you know, Amabungani, um, into what the ANC was doing during the municipal elections yeah. last year, and. Essentially, what Amo Bungane found out was that, or there are allegations, that there was a, what was termed a covert or, or black ops, um, so sort of communications team, I would say, working in, um, 
Yeah, working in in sort of the background with with what looks like at least some people um, in the Tully House approval, but working separately from them, um, trying to keep their communication to a minimum, mm. um, and the this sort of you know black ops campaign was you know primarily it seems um, focused on. What you know at at best was only um, only trying to sort of smear the opposition um, and d- discredit the opposition yeah, or yeah. And highlight the opposition yeah, party's sort of faults. celebrities and influencers. That's right, sort of be part um, of, yeah. and, and particularly with social media. Yeah. And and at worst, while while trumping the ANC, you know, you're like hyping up the ANC. Yep. At worst, what it was doing was sort of leading a. Well, it looks to be at least an unethical smear campaign and at worst, uh, uh, committing acts of, of illegal campaigning that yeah. would have violated the electoral act and electoral Yeah, absolutely. Code. Especially that I think it was the, the printing of fake posters specifically right. against the EFF and, you know, putting pictures of Julius with, with a, an AK-47 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's, if, if proven, I think that's just blatantly illegal. That's right. And, and so one of the key links in this story, I think we still have to find out a lot more, but even, even on the weekend, more information from Amokungana came out about there were actually recordings of these meetings in terms of planning and finding yep. out what's happening with this sort of, Covert, uh, I think they called it the war room initially, yeah. the team. Um, and so the, one of the key links between what the, whether this team was just a group of sort of rogue supporters led by guys like Shaka Susulu, he's, you know, a very prominent ANC member, um, media commentator yeah. and activist, um, or, or whether they actually had links. To the, to the mother body and it, yeah. this thing was actually sanctioned mm. by the ANC, which means the ANC would have been involved in not, would have actually believed that not only can they not win elections, um, outright without having to do any sort of, use any dodgy tactics, mm. that they actually might have sanctioned something that's illegal. Yeah. And the key link there is Ignatius Jacobs, who is the general manager of the ANC. I don't think anyone knew who, or most people didn't know who he was like last or that, week. Or that ANC had a general manager. That's right. Manager. <laughs> that's right. Everyone just thought it was Guede. Like, and that was it. There. Who's this other guy? Ignatius. <laughs> now he's, I think he's known around the country. Welcome to the spotlight, sir. And he, he, you know, signed off this deal with uh, a woman called Sithle Bolani, who said she did work for the work for this for this team, and is now suing the ANC to to recoup recoup her money. Yeah. Um, and also, he's he's heard in this audio recording um, talking with with some of the team members about about this sort of stuff, and specifically men- uh, mentioning how he was trained and knows about sort of espionage. Oh, type, beautiful quote. Type, I'll find type, it. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, type activities, and and the guys running this campaign now don't really know what they're doing. And um, so, so in that way, he seems to actually very much sort of suggest that, th- that this is what's going on. You found the quote? Yeah, it's beautiful. It says, I personally was trained in propaganda, deception, subterfuge, political warfare and spy works. I know what must be done. It's beautiful. And the implication for the ANC, I think, is huge for this because it's also huge for, the, for I think, the future of our elections and our democracy because... <sighs> We we always know that political political parties are political parties, and they often act. You know, they they push the limits. And elections get dead. Yeah, that's right. They push the limits of of what's of what's ethical um, and what's not, and that's just politics around the world. I think now when they're when they're if they are doing things like waging sort of such huge um, smear campaigns that actually are quite quite ugly. Yeah. 
and and w- when you're actually supposed to be a ruling party with a with a grand and a noble history that says even though it's got its own challenges is still fighting to adhere to those to those values um I think it's very, very worrying if the party is sanctioning and pursuing these issues. It's and even more so if the biggest party in the country with the most support, despite you know, despite its challenges and despite declining support, is actually breaking the law to win elections. And obviously we know all sorts of scandals about corruption and kickbacks and patronage that revolve around around um election campaigns and and all of these allegations of of giving food parcels and things like that um if now we're at the level where where the ANC or any other party is mm. so willing to to break election laws i think i think we're in a very very dire state so that's what that's what was happening actually those reports are coming out you yeah. know as as the ANC NEC while they were meeting, were meeting too, yeah. right and so the ANC so far has distanced itself both from its general manager yeah. and from guys like Shaka Sasulu and this yeah. whole campaign sort of suggesting that this might have been some sort of unsanctioned rogue unit yeah like whatever which, they were doing had nothing to do with it which also seemed to have yeah. the, have the the backing of the party's you know general manager with meetings happening at Lutuli House. That's right. Um, and and so I think it's been very disappointing so far that they've distanced themselves from the issue and haven't really come out and commented much on it. So yesterday at the press conference, um, Guermantasha said basically that um, whether they are they are disciplining Jacobs or not mm. is the ANC's own issue. Okay. And like any other employer-employee relationship, the ANC should be able to, to conduct that mm. You know, within their own processes. I think that analogy is fine, but this isn't a normal employer-employee relationship. It goes back to the heart of our democracy, yeah. the, the values of our leading party, and, and largely the results of the last election and the future yeah. of politics in this country. Given that there's another election, like, just about to come out national. That's right. And so... I think at the moment the ANC sort of leadership is in a very difficult space where they they may not know what to say or know how to say yeah. it, considering how this is how this is all falling out. We don't know. And if they are finding out, would we find out? That, that, that's the question. <laughs> either it's sort of either they, they they actually knew about some of this stuff, and are now trying to figure out how to distance themselves yeah. from it. Or that they actually not everyone knows. Yeah, that, like, that, that some guys, you know, the right hand doesn't know yeah. what the left hand's doing, yeah. and these huge sort of ANC um, sort of public supporters like Shaka Sasulu yeah. are just raising money in their name um, without the actual leadership of the ANC knowing, and you know, but then, and then guys like the general manager are backing it without yeah. the leadership knowing, or or they're actually involved in it trying to get out of it. So yeah. I think it actually so so Montasha's I think lack of comments on that yesterday and. And what I think is a pretty weak analogy mm. in, in trying to just make it seem like any other workplace relations issue, um, I think raises serious questions over, uh, over, over how the ANC is handling this incredible scandal. Um, okay, so that's, that's okay, black ops. That's black ops. <laughs> it sounds like a video game. I think that is a video game. Was there, was there mention of the, le- of the leadership race and leadership and what's, and what's going on with that? Or was the response just, that's, that's internal, that's private? Well, well definitely. I think on, on yeah. a couple of levels. So, so one thing there was, you know, I think a foreign, um, I think it was an American journalist or, or something asked about whether at the ANC, um, there was any discussion of, 
um, the nominees who might be the candidates yeah. for for the December conference when when new ANC leaders mm. might be elected. And um, Montaja rightly said that that's not how we do things in the ANC. We have a timetable. We discuss these things at a certain time, and it all starts with the branch. And branches first have to nominate their preferred leaders, um, and then a process after that follows. But what was interesting that he that he did come out come out of the meeting was. This idea and, and new proposals to try to give more power to ANC branches mm. and avoid interference from ANC regions and ANC provinces. So basically what the ANC is going to do with this conference and, and the nomination of, of candidates for leadership is instead of branches sort of submitting names to regions and then it goes through the regions to the provinces and then, you know, provinces basically... Then you, say yeah. this is what... That's right. What um, the province. What's going to happen this time is there'll be sort of like a central point where when branches choose who, who they will like, would like to... what the candidates they would like to nominate for leadership, the, you know, they will... those that document or whatever it yeah. is or that that, that will be filed names. sort yeah. of in, in a central place that goes to an actual national sort of team and that national team will, will take care of it and, and provinces and regions of the party can sort of be part of the process and, and overlook how this stuff's coming up but it'll essentially bypass any potential or hopefully will bypass any potential or maybe the most direct influence yeah. direct tampering for provinces and regions to uh, falsify the actual um, nominees that branches have submitted so the idea is that now the party wants to sort of re-inject more power back into its base and core structures which are which are branches um and and try to try to just avoid any potential tampering from from a higher structure. Well, that's really interesting because I thought, I mean, and I love Gwede's quote that said the branch is the primary unit of, mm. of, 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 of the ANC structure, which I thought was wonderful and true. But I'm, I'm surprised that this was around tampering of, region, of, of the bigger region. I would think it was just more about exerting influence and telling branches, this is how we vote. We are Gauteng or we are KZN, this is how we vote, mm. as opposed to just actually tampering and saying no all our branches want this person and that's not true i think that's that's another yeah. challenge that um to that will yeah. you know likely define define these anc yeah. elections that it, but it's harder then to to influence the to influence and weaken the powerful's um control or or, or i guess influence again yeah. over over the less powerful so that is one of the, i think the key challenges that the party will struggle to deal with the the it's not just that, you know, branches will sit down and look at who may or may not be the best candidate. There'll be influence exerted from pressures higher up, and that often will define define who um, will be nom- nominated and who whole regions and whole provinces will actually end up supporting come December. Absolutely. Um, and finally, when you were just looking at sort of the meeting summaries, you say that a lot of the things that came up were, were chatting before the show were actually quite consistent. A lot of the things around municipal governments, around national government, governance, a lot of the things are just very consistent in the things that the NEC has, has, has been discussing for a long time. Well, there were, I think, I think, so this meeting sort of defines some of the key priorities for the, for the party over the year and, um, okay, yeah, let me, I'll run through a few of them if you want. So sort of, they were talking about economic growth, accelerated radical socio-economic transformation, land reform, higher education funding, um, crime, corruption, um, and, and building capacity of the state where they particularly mentioned a few things on municipalities. I think after reflecting, uh, perhaps on some of their losses and challenges, um, since, since the municipal elections last year. Now, 
each each of those categories um, had had resolutions that come with it, and you know many of them were continued sort of goals have come up before. Uh, some some were sort of more current, but I think the real question that a lot of people have is okay. You know, you're targeting all of these things, which sure are some of the key concerns across the country. And you do have resolutions and aims to, you know, improve these priority areas that, that are real challenges for, for South Africa's development. But a lot of people, I think, and onlookers are asking, number one, how committed is the ANC to actually improving these issues while, while it's fighting, um, this dual problem of, Factionalism and infighting in a year where, where new ANC leaders will be elected and where by its own account, it's still trying to deal with serious issues of, of capture and corruption. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there haven't been many, many people have been focusing on those resolutions, but yeah. then I think what's more important from those resolutions, um, maybe we could, and we'll post a link to actually yeah, the sure. statement from yesterday so our listeners can, can check it out. But I think what's, what's more important is sort of what happens next to those resolutions. So soon, um, cabinet will be meeting for, and the government will be meeting mm. for its own lechotla. So they will now discuss those resolutions and will set the government's, um, um, targets and sort of outline for the year through, through President Zuma's state of the nation. Yeah, Address. The nation address coming yeah. up in the budget speech, and we have that. That's whole right. Cycle. So, so then we'll be able to see what has filtered through and what will actually be acted on. Cool, absolutely. I mean, we we're chatting before. I mean, Richard Poblak had the interesting article where he mentioned some key things, like the national key points, uh, this this commitment to de- to sort of protect and defend state infrastructure, um, and specifically this 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 legis- legislation about wanting to have a border management bill and a border management authority, which in the age of building walls is is worrying. So I'm curious as to whether those are just carryovers from from previous. From previous meetings and it's just things that are on the agenda or whether there's actually a real commitment um, to keep going with this national key point thing of saying parliament Kandla, ETC, these are national key points, must be protected, cannot protest here uh, this thing about uh, protecting state infrastructure and this border management thing especially given um, J- uh, Joburg and the, and the issues around foreign nationals and who's actually welcome in the city and, and city management and I think that's going to be interesting to, to watch. Okay. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. As mentioned, you can email Greg at dailymaverick.co.za um, with ideas, things you want us to cover, things you think we should do better, uh, comments, feedback, everything. We love it. Um, keep downloading the podcast. Please share it far and wide. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Same time, same place. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.